Sound of Design with Mark and Dan, the podcast that takes you on an exhilarating journey through the captivating realm of custom technology. Don't miss out on this thrilling auditory expedition into the mesmerizing world of custom technology. How do you fix something? (laughs) You unplug it and plug it back in. This is the way of everything. So when your tech craps out, please unplug it and plug it back in. That was good. <laughs> that was real good. Well, we're about to find out. I'll listen back to it. And if I'm <laughs> too embarrassed, <laughs> then it doesn't count. Well, welcome to the Sound of Design with Mark and Dan. And uh, I'm very excited about today's episode. Uh, today, uh, we have uh, a home automation uh special we had an opportunity to talk uh, a little bit about uh, some home automation before and it's such a big category that i felt like uh, this would be a really good opportunity for us to do kind of a deep dive uh, into some things and really start talking about some of the differences when you do kind of a medium-sized system and so uh, we'll kind of start branching out into some of the different areas that a control system or a home automation system uh, can really make your life a lot better. And so we're going to talk about how it relates to some lighting. We're going to talk about how it relates to door locks. And I'm hoping that uh, we've really taken a, an approach that's a little bit more uh, use case uh, than anything else. And uh, some things to watch out for, things that can be a really big problem if you don't look ahead. And uh, how's that sound? <laughs> Sounds great. I am super excited. I've got these different headphones I'm trying out. Oh, nice. Kind of excited about that. Trying to cut out some of the distracted, distracting noises of my dogs and or neighbors or whatever else when uh, we're recording these things. So, yeah, yeah I'm excited. Very good. Well, uh to start with, uh, let's maybe talk uh, about the first thing that an automation system is going to have. And uh, we sort of touched on it a little bit in a previous episode. Um, but maybe let's talk about the why behind why a home automation system is going to have one of these units. And that's the host. Uh, what's the difference between having a host and not having a host? And I'd hopefully like to say, let's throw some people under the bus, like HomeKit <laughs> <laughs> or sure. the Alexas or the Googles. And uh, like, what, what's going on there? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's all about processing power and capabilities that, you know, you're going to want, depending on how far down the automation rabbit hole you want to go. Um, you know, you say you want to throw some folks under the bus, uh, you know, URC comes to mind with a lot of the remote controls because it's just a remote control and you program your macros. And uh, for those who don't know what macros are, they're essentially 
combinations of commands via one button press. So I can hit a button that says, you know, TV, and it turns on my cable box, my television, and the audio system. But it's all inside of that remote. If my remote fails or something along those lines, that's, that's it. Uh, you got to replace it. Um, there's no other backups or anything along those lines versus a host-based system like a Savant or a Control 4 or something along those lines. It's going to have that brain of the system where that's where all the programming's housed and all of your other devices, remote controls, additional rooms that you're controlling are just going to be operated off of that main host, if that makes sense. Yep, absolutely. And that's part of the reason why I asked you to start there is because most of the time, if you have a Google base or a Alexa base or a HomeKit base, the processing and the programming is not stored locally. And so there's going to be some delay times. And that doesn't sound like a big deal when you say it out loud. Oh, there's going to be a three second delay from when I press the button to when something happens until you're actually looking at your phone or your iPad or your remote. And all of a sudden three seconds seems like an eternity. Like you press the button and nothing happens. And you're sitting there going like one, two, like, why did something happen already? I feel like something's broken. And then before you know it, you're uncomfortable when you're saying, why did I spend money on this thing? Because the expectation of technology is that it's so instantaneous and we've been trained for it to be instantaneous. So having that dedicated host processor means that we have that immediate response time for all of the devices. And I'm so glad you talked about, about the backup because uh, I know with a lot of our uh, systems, a copy of the programming is held on one of the vendor's servers, right? So if you have a Savant system, a copy of the programming is going to be over there. So if there's a power outage or a failure or something along those lines, you can access that without having to uh, reprogram an entire system. And so there's always uh, a backup. There's always another layer of protection that you're going to have to make sure that whatever home automation you have working is working the way that it's supposed to. And uh, all right, awesome. So uh, let's go to uh, maybe the next step of that. Um, I know there's different levels of hosts and uh, you know things along those lines we might consider. So let's do mm-hmm. just a single room system. Uh, let's maybe take a theater room or a media room as an example, and uh, maybe walk us through the remote control functionality that a host is going to uh, give us. Yeah. Yeah. So a, a uh, single room remote control. uh, I know we've mentioned it before. We handle Savant mostly. Um, So they've got a couple of different packages. They have four different host tiers um, and all of those are going to be based on kind of your needs and our, Go to for the longest time has been their, their what they call their simple host. And in, in this case, where you have um, essentially a small computer, small brain built into an input output module. And what that module does is it connects to the devices in that location. So you typically have a couple of infrared or IR connections. You have uh, a network connection, so we can control things over the network. 
and a couple of serial connections for uh, RS-232 communication to certain products. Um, but essentially, that device sets up next to where your, your equipment's going to be located, uh, and all those connections are made between your equipment, uh, and that that host also gives you the ability to kind of expand into some a little bit of lighting. Um, so you could maybe add a light switch or a keypad when you walk into the space that says, you know, <clears throat> all on, movie time, uh, relax, and off. So when you come in you hit that movie button, it's going to turn on the system, turn on your movie player, whatever that source is, Apple TV, Blu-ray player, Kaleidoscape, whatever it is. Turn that on, but it's also going to adjust the lights the way you want it. It's going to, you know, turn on the television. It's going to basically create that experience for that one room. Cool thing about it, though, is that it's not, we, we're calling it a single room, but it has the capability of adding uh, three or four other audio video zones and maybe a couple of extra rooms of audio. So it's actually a pretty big powerhouse when it comes to what it can do from an audio video perspective. Its limitations are going to come with lighting and other things, like how many light switches or what we call light loads it can control. But by and large, I mean, most of us sell this system, and it's you know sub $1,000, so it's, it's kind of hard to beat if, when you're talking about starting an automation system. Yep. I, I really, really love the way you said it too, which is it gives you the ability to branch out into other things and so it begins right with all things as control for your apple tv your blu-ray player your television or projector your receiver uh it could be control for uh switching inputs for example and i know that depending on your level of technical expertise switching inputs can sound like the simplest easiest thing in the world but for someone who's not technical, that is actually extremely daunting. And I know that sounds crazy, but you got to remember, not everybody's an expert in everything. I've met some very, very, very smart folks, um, brain surgeons, to be quite honest, that really don't understand anything when it comes to technology because they've spent their time doing all these other things, helping all these other people. And so... For an AV person, it's like, well, this is, you know, 101. It's like, yeah, but they didn't even get that, right? So mm -hmm. um, having that automation system gives that intuitive and no-brainer type of an approach. I see Apple TV as the button. I press the button, and it works. <laughs> right? Like, we don't have to works. worry about it. It just works. Exactly. Um, and, and so if you were to take that same level of, uh, ease of use, but then multiply the ability for the devices to communicate and the systems to communicate with each other, you start thinking about the amount of data that's going to go back and forth. So let's say that we had a, uh, Amazon product that was trying to do, all of that work, let's say to turn on uh, two or three uh, zones of lights. So we'll say we've got some four inch cans in the ceiling and we've got maybe some sconces and maybe some 
uh, LED light strips that are going around mm -hmm. the room. How much programming do you really want to do to get each one of those three things to operate? Yep. Yeah. You, uh, I'm, it, it's a great thing that you brought it up because that's one of the biggest things that I hear when folks are talking about lighting control. Like, hey, I saw on this commercial through for the the Amazon device that I can tell it to turn on my lights around my whole house. But it was really complex, you know, and, and they ended up not really use it utilizing the full functionality. I program Savant. I'm not an expert programmer by any means, but for me it makes sense. It's really straightforward. There's things with my Amazon devices around my house that I I don't even mess with because it's just it's so complex it's not hard it's just so complex for my brain that i i just avoid it and that's why i went the direction of an automation system because it's built for that this amazon device is built to do a million things it just happens to listen to you and communicates with some companies that give it the ability to you yeah. know um and also you know, yes, you can create groups, but the groups are typically designed around rooms, right? So, like, I'm in my office. Uh, I have to say, hey, turn my office on or turn my my guest room or my bedroom on versus when I integrate with Savant, I create a scene inside of Savant by selecting those zones and say good night. And it does everything, not just lighting-related, but anything. If I've got music on somewhere, it'll turn it off. The TV's on, it's going to turn that off. I have a lot more control, and that's something I set up outside of the programming. So as an end user, our clients can do that. Yep. You know, hey, you have an Amazon device. If you wanted to do something, you just create this scene inside of the, the Savant app and tell uh, you know the device to find it, and you're back in business. And now it does exactly what you want it to do without having to call me come out to, to program it for you, right? So yep. I think that's an incredible value, honestly. And, and, and I agree with you. The value is amazing, and the control that the end customer has is also amazing because that's the number one complaint of old-style control systems was every time you wanted to make a change, you got to call somebody. And it's like, yep. you know, maybe we just want – the ability to make a couple tweaks or make a couple changes. So, you know, from a user experience, what does it mean? Well, once you're using your Savant app and you say you've got music on, let's say in the kitchen and the TV is on in the kitchen and you want those things to turn off, well, you turn them off and you get things into the state that you want them and then you hit a plus and then you name that scene and it just captures what's already there. So it's as simple as hitting a button once things are the way that they're supposed to be. If you were to compare that to say an Alexa macro or an I uh, macro or a Google macro or something along those lines, you have to go through kind of line by line and you have to say, all right, this device in this room doing this thing Right. And as you go through each one of those line by line, right, it and if it sounds like we're kind of belaboring the point, it's because it's a pain in the butt. <laughs> yep. like, it really, really sucks 
It's like the thing they should tell you on the packaging, but they didn't tell you. <laughs> Warning, we'll sit here for 45 minutes programming one scene. It's like, uh. <laughs> yep. Yep. And, and just to kind of, you know, double down on that, like Dan and I on a regular basis design systems that distribute video to 12 different rooms, audio to 30 different zones, to power 100 different speakers, and communicate with cameras, access points, and all this stuff while assisting in designing the rack layouts. And this is hard for us. Like that's <laughs> programming <laughs> these devices is harder for us than, than what all the other things I just mentioned. It, you know, I'm not disparaging people who love to dig in deep and do those things. I know there's folks that love to do that type of programming, but for, uh, you know, the vast majority of the public, they just want it to work and they don't want to have to work hard to get it to work. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Well, uh, let's maybe move, uh, to the next layer of, uh, automation and the most common one, I think that we'll see beyond the video space, uh, is going to be, uh, audio and music throughout the house. Mm -hmm. So, uh, what are some of the things that you get with a home automation platform that you don't get from say a Sonos or a Heos or some of the do-it-yourself style options out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, I I utilize Sonos still in my system. I don't fully have Savant music integration yet, just because at the time when I bought into Savant, uh, Savant music really wasn't a thing. It was coming. It was yeah. announced. It you know my it, it host, isn't. It isn't what it is today. <laughs> correct, correct. So, and I mean, I have 12 zones of Sonos in my house. So it's kind of hard you know, to, to, to jump out of that all in. I do have a Savant Music server that, that I have. I have not integrated yet into my system. Um, and the reason why I'm going this direction is it's fully integrated into the system. What do I mean by that? So Sonos, Sonos shows up in my Savant system. I can click on Sonos right here and I can hit living room. Then it goes to a screen and it says, all right, here's your volume. Here's what you recently played. Here's some playlists that you like. And that's pretty much it. I can't get in and search. So if I'm really hankering to listen to Michael Buble, I can't go into my Savant app click Sonos and search for Michael Buble unless I've already saved him as a playlist. So now I've got to jump out of that app, go over to my Sonos app, click living room, click search, find Michael Buble, hit play. And I brought up my living room specifically because it's a receiver that it's connected to. So now I've got to jump back over to Savant to control volume because the volume is fixed on my Sonos device. So I don't have multiple volumes in one room. So it's a little complex when you utilize third-party companies that do distributed audio versus the Savant Music app. They just, thank goodness, released Apple Music this week, which is huge Yep. because everybody who has an iPhone has Apple Music pretty much. And um, you know, most of us have an iPhone unless you're Dan. Sorry, um, Android user. <laughs> If you've seen the tiki-taki uh, where the guy is, like, kicked out of the neighborhood, if you haven't, you yep. got to find it. 
I was yep. kicked out of the neighborhood. Yep. And yep. Uh, sorry, that's okay. All right, keep going. But it's all, it's all good. Yeah. So I mean, not to be long winded, but you know, it's I click on Apple Music now inside of the Savant app. I hit Savant Music, select the zone, select Apple Music, search what I want to listen to, hit play, and it's right there. And then at the top of the screen, I can hit uh, whatever room I'm in, and all my other rooms come up. I check off a couple boxes, and I have complete control across the entire home. Absolutely. So I don't have to jump to another app. I don't have to you know, search through different things. Uh, I do, because I know how Sonos and Savant integrate, I do have playlists set up, which is just kind of helps me, but... It, you know, it's something that even my wife, she's very tech savvy. I'm not disparaging her in any form or fashion, but it's a little bit too complex for her sometimes. So yeah. she usually just Bluetooths to something, you know, a, a speaker that she has or something versus he's in the system. I can't and believe you said easy. that. Yep. <laughs> my wife does the exact same thing. I yep. have <laughs> in the living room, right? A mm-hmm. wonderful pair of speakers. An awesome subwoofer, Rotel amps, Marantz processor. Like, it's got to be, I won't tell you the number. It's a very nice audio system. <laughs> and she would historically, for years, pull out a JBL Flip, which is a $100 Bluetooth speaker. <laughs> and she would listen on that. But the yep. point was, it was easy. She knew how it worked. And so this goes back to the whole point, like, you have to know how it works. And if it's easy, then you'll use it. And if it's not easy, it's made your life more difficult. It was a waste. And you should have never done it in the first place. And I know a lot of times we kind of miss this opportunity to think about our system and really understand maybe the guts of it and understand maybe the how it works or why it works. And one of the things that I love about doing distributed audio integrated into a control system is that the amplifiers, the boxes, are all one giant piece of gear. What I mean by this? Well, let's say you were to try and design out a four-zone Sonos system, okay? So master bedroom, master bathroom, uh, let's say we do the kitchen and the dining room. You would have to have a Sonos box for each one of those rooms. And depending on how you design it, you have to have a fifth box, which is a distributed amplifier, to do that as well. Now, you could do Sonos amps. I get it. But now you're looking at $700 per zone. And you've got four power cables you have to deal with. So I'm either doing the amps and a nice power supply, or we're doing the ports and an amplifier and a nice power supply, depending on the way that you design out that system. And each time you do that, you're adding more and more wires. So there needs to be a little wire that connects from the brain into the amplifier, then speaker wire from the amplifier out to the speakers. So you think about the number of failure and connection points that need to be in this system. All right, let's go to a Savant distributed amp, just as a basic example. Their SIPA 50, I think is what it's been called for a long time. All four amplifiers and all four brains are in the same box. (laughs) 
One one power cable. One internet connection. <laughs> uh, do we have to program it? Do we have to set it up for you and label the rooms and do something? Yeah, absolutely. We have to do our jobs the right way. But with one piece of gear, you can replace six pieces of gear. And that's awesome. From a design yep. perspective, we've now made the system operate more efficiently. And we've eliminated steps for you as the end user because you don't have six different things that you have to check. If there's ever a problem, you just have to unplug it and plug it back in and it comes right back up the way it's supposed to. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, it's, it's an awesome solution and it's cheaper than buying the four Sonos amps that we talked about earlier. Now, obviously, they're assuming you have a Savant system, so you can't just necessarily go buy this piece um, because yep. you still need a host. But yeah. fair call out. By yep. and large, if if I assuming I already have a Savant host and I want to add four zones of distributed audio, I spend less than I would on Sonos and those other boxes. Um, the only caveat you do only have one stream of music. Technically, with Sonos, you get four streams, but if you're an Apple Music user, you only get one stream of audio anyway. So you can't stream four different Apple Music songs on one account, if that makes sense. So, and most of us are creatures of habit. You know, if you're doing a four zone system, it's probably a kitchen, dining, and outdoor space all wrapped around a living space. So you're not going to necessarily listen to different music in multiple zones. But you do have the ability to add more streams to the system if you want to. And honestly, adding one stream is probably still, it's about the same price as what Sonos would be. So two streams, yep, four zones. Well, and, and I think it's more important for us to maybe also recognize that there are different customers here and with different expectations and different performance levels, different budgets. We just talked about upgrading and so if you're in the upgrade mindset and you want to build your system over time, you can't do it once and do it right, right from the beginning. You know what? There's a savant pathway for you to build, okay, one zone at a time if you wanted to, just like there is in the Sonos world. So I don't have a problem saying that it's not a function of better or worse. I think it's just different. And the yep. audio control that you get out of a savant system is substantially different. Um, one of those big ones, quite honestly, is uh, EQ, uh, ability to um, tone control each particular room. So what do I mean by that? Well, you can turn the volume up at the amplifier level in order to push more sound at a lower total volume for big spaces. So I'll tell you the story. Client just bought a brand new house. Beautiful. Open concept. 12-foot ceilings. Ooh. 18 feet by 25 feet. In one case... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> ready for this? From the kitchen to the dining room to what they call the game room is one long space. It's approximately 80 feet at 12-foot ceilings. It is a very long, long, long run 
uh, of rooms that is all open concept. Now, this is beautiful to, for design. You walk into this space and you're going, oh my goodness, this is beautiful. From end to end, we have this fantastic look. We can see all the way through and everything is light and open and fantastic. We put in some amazing eight inch speakers and an awesome, awesome amplifier run by Sonos. And the client did nothing but complain because for the first two and a half weeks, he said the sound quality wasn't good enough. <laughs> and I was like, uh, you know what we put in there, right? And he's like, oh no, I thought it was gonna be enough. It was not. <laughs> <laughs> There's this thing called physics, like we have to deal with. Um, so I just say this to say that when you start getting into that next level, the Savant system gives you the ability to tune things and to set things up the right way. And they use a thing called DSP in order to make that happen, digital signal processing. And that is all built in to those amps. So. Makes sense. Yep. Uh, let's uh, move to uh, kind of the next biggest uh, automation that uh, we do a lot of, and that is shades. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> what are, what's yeah. the first thing we want to talk about when we talk about shades? Um, really, it's going to, the first thing that I talk about with shades is going to be what design they're looking for. Um, and why do I ask that? Because there's a, there's so many different options out there, but there are some that are very well known for a specific design. And that specific design may or may not require a hardwired connection. Now, you're sitting here thinking, hey, aren't these wireless? Yeah, absolutely. They, are all, they all operate wirelessly, but the hardwired options are powered by... Uh, whether it's PoE or a separate power panel that's placed inside of the home somewhere. And typically those give you more elegant and powerful options compared to your battery-powered options. Now, a majority of the business that we do uh, is is typically living in that retrofit world where you know the home's already existing, uh, and we can't really run the wires. They don't want to run the wires or they don't want to avoid some energy warranty that they've gotten certified for. So we can't drill holes through the window frame. So by and large, that, that that's a majority of the work we do. And those are battery powered shades. And they're going to come in typically a couple of different designs, but the most popular are roller shades or honeycomb. Yep. Um, there are a couple other ones, but again, most of the time it's roller is the vast majority. Um, limitations on those is going to be, um, you know, length and width of your window. Okay. Um, most of your battery powered shades are going to be uh, <clears throat> limited to about two feet. There's, uh, as far as the thinnest that they can go. Um, and then you're also limited in length based on how big of a roll of fabric you need. So um, design is, is kind of the first thing. It's like, what's the aesthetic? What's the overall look that you want out of here? If they say, hey, I want to do, uh, you know, this specific open roller from uh, a certain de 
company that we have, uh, those require hardwired connections. So we need to talk early on about what additional wire needs to be run if it's not already there or if we're pre-wiring where we need to you know, run those wires to get the shades they want. Uh, the nice thing is, is wired shades can typically go a little bit thinner um, in the roller style. I think it's around 18 inches or so. Yep. Um, but on the flip side, they can also go quite a bit larger because you have that power panel with a, it's able to uh, properly power a, a better motor inside of those shades. So you're able to put more fabric, larger fabric, wider pieces of fabric on it and cover larger spaces with your shades. Yep. And I'm so glad you brought up the, the, the width as one of the concerns because, you know, you think about the whole point of an automated shade is to hit a particular time, right? So I want good morning. I want the shades to roll up or good night. I want the shades to roll down. Um, or we want to control the sun at four o'clock or five o'clock or something like that, because it's just, we have this wonderful, you know, view, which is great, but we also have some practical concerns as well. And so I think one of the, when you talk about design, I think what we're really saying is, what do we want the actual box or the roller to look like inside the window? It, it's really, do I want this square two by two, three by three, six by six, depending on the size cassette, right? And don't get me wrong, we can get them to look beautiful as much as we can. We can do, you know, in some cases, a fabric wrapped fascia and things along those lines. But if you have a very modern design, uh, you may want something that has that box look to it in order to block as much light as possible. Conversely, if it's a more formal space, you may not want that big, ugly box. And it wasn't a big, ugly box in the other house. But it was in this house because the design <laughs> was different and that's okay. So I, I'm so glad that you, you brought it up that way because really that is the, the very first consideration. Um, and then I'm really glad that you mentioned uh, the fact that they have both battery and wired options because when you work with your designer or you work with an integrator, they'll be able to tell you right away when they walk into a space, oh, you have that size of a window we can do x y and z things and they can present you a buffet of options this company is going to work that company is going to work this color is going to be available we're going to be able to do this this and this and this and they can typically quote you within a relatively fast timeline um approximately what you're looking at in terms of a a, a product cost um and so when i say fast i mean there's a little website that we go to the vendors have made it very easy for us. <laughs> and I say this because I think there's this uh, misconception about the quote. It's like, well, you know, those are going to be very expensive. That might be a lot of money. I don't know if I need to invest necessarily into a shade. And it's like, I mean, I sort of get that, but I really don't at the same time. If you look at the non-motorized version and the motorized version of the same exact shade, your difference is only about 20%, 25% at most. So what are we really talking about in terms of an upcharge? Most of the cost is in the fabric. It's in the labor to build the thing. It's in 
and depending on the type of fabric that you pick and what's going to look right. So as you're working with your interior decorator or your interior designer, they're saying we need these particular fabrics to match with the decor that's already in place. Now we can say, oh, okay, if that's what it needs to be, then we need to go to this company. And now we're not talking about a huge difference in cost. We're saying, okay, it was a $900 unit. Now it's 1200 Like, mm-hmm. it, it almost make, doesn't make sense to be that committed to it and not do the motorized option. <laughs> uh, I agree with you, man. I mean, it, it's, it's I, I've said it on earlier episodes, like the lighting control in my house is my favorite thing in my house. And it not just light switches, but uh, when I first moved into my home, um, they were building another set of homes right across the street from me. And I live in a townhome, so my the front window of our house is, is our bedroom. And it's a 70 by 70 window. And I'm waking up in the morning staring at these people building a house, you know, 40 feet across the street from me. And you can see into my room in the morning. So I knew I have to have something to control, not just control who can see in and out, but also just the amount of light that comes in because it is a south-facing window, but especially during the winter times at, at the way that the the, uh, uh, the sun is, uh, it, it, before that, I would get so much sunlight coming into the, the window dressings I had while I was waiting on my shades that it was just like, essentially impossible to sleep in past 6 a.m. So by getting this shade, I was able to control the amount of light automatically so I don't have to wake up and remember, oh, I need to open that shade or close it or whatever. It literally opens and closes on a schedule. uh, So I don't, you know, it's not going to open before 9 a.m. because I don't want it to, right? I know that I typically sleep, and if I sleep to 9 a.m., it's a miracle at this point, but... Um, and, and I do kind of want to mention whether or not thing, like if you're dealing with a, someone with that, that does shade design, I know there are companies like budget blinds and other ones, not disparaging anyone, but you know, they're going to quote you some stuff that might be a few hundred bucks cheaper. It really is worth looking into the differences and the, the, the noise that the motors make. And also if the shades that, are buy- that you're buying through them can be integrated into some of these automation systems. A lot of folks, rightfully so, walk in and say, oh, this is a wireless light switch or a wireless shade or a wireless this. That means they all work together. And it, it doesn't. So asking some of those questions like, hey, if I were to want to add these to an automation system, can I do that? And... You know, if the answer is no, then I would, you know, say, unless it's just going to be an astronomical price difference, look at a different solution because being able to integrate it into the house of the future where everything is connected is super important to a lot of folks. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And, and I would second that, which is maybe to also consider a slightly different motivation. And so I'm going to tell a weird story that will seem unrelated until we get to the end and then it's gonna make perfect sense. So just bear with me for a second. We had somebody who used to work at our store that sold a distributed audio system. Really, really cool system goes into a couple of racks in the centralized area 
and it runs about seven zones of distributed audio. Well, the client lived in the house for a couple years and decided it was time to move again for a million different reasons. Well, the next homeowner was a client of mine and he called me and he said, hey, can you come over? I have this great system here. And I walk in and I immediately recognized all of the parts and pieces. And I said, huh, this looks a lot like work that we did. That's pretty cool. And client lives in the house for a couple of years. We get the system working, rock and rolling. He uses it and it moves on. He goes to the next house and a third client moves into the exact same place. And this turns out to be another <laughs> client of mine. <laughs> so I say this to say, although this is kind of unique that we had three, you know, back to back, but each homeowner who was buying that house they were buying the system that went with it. They were buying the speakers, they were buying the shades, they were buying the racks, they were buying the functionality, the Wi-Fi system, everything was transferred from one owner to the next. And it functioned and it worked well across three different clients. And so when you are looking at putting in an automation system, when you're looking at putting in a shade system, that's part of the value of your home that's now going to be increased that the next person's gonna have to have. And so. You devalue your home if you put something in that needs to be ripped out later. So it works against your own financial incentive, uh, your own financial well-being to put something in that isn't actually done right. Because then the next person is going to have to come in and say, oh, I got to rip all this out. Well, what's the first thing they're going to do when that happens? Well, they're going to go back to you and they're going to say, hey, <laughs> I thought there was automated shades. I thought there was a working music system. I thought there was a... Right. And so you end up in a very uncomfortable situation um, that uh, we don't want anyone to be in. And so when we design, we have to think not just for ourselves, we have to think about the next homeowner as well um, in order to make sure that we're doing things the right way. Exactly. Exactly. And I, you know, I just had a, a situation where uh, a previous client that I'm dealing with, that I'm dealing with sold their house and I just so happened to get, get sent out to the house that they sold and I actually got put in the middle of the two because you know uh, the, the clients have questions just wondering why this isn't transferred over this that or the other um, and ultimately we had to send the the old home that was sold by this client to these new clients a lot of the stuff was antiquated it really hadn't been updated so while it was marketed as a home automation system there were a lot of corners that had been cut and that's never a fun thing for or designers if you want you know what any of those things it, it's 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 tough it's a tough situation to walk into when you say hey they've got a hundred thousand dollars worth of gear here and eighty thousand dollars of it needs to be upgraded you know it it's it's a tough conversation to have if this other client would have spent an extra 10 to 15 grand on that hundred K he probably would not have to, they probably not would have not been looking at that situation they were in. So um, definitely like that. You called that out there. Yeah. Well, all right. So we've talked a little bit about uh, the design, the look of the shade, getting the light control and the differences between some of the levels. Um, we talked um 
about whether or not it's integratable into the automation system. Um, and so I think at this point, the next place where a home automation system like a Savant or a Control 4 uh, starts to really come alive is door locks and access control and uh, surveillance. Uh, so let's talk maybe a little bit about those and uh, what is some of the things that from an access control perspective that you can kind of start that conversation that might be a little bit different from say just the generic uh, off the shelf uh, that you might have already seen. Sure, sure. So, um, you know, you mentioned door locks first. Um, they have automated door locks have been a part of the home automation scene for quite some time. Um, one of the first couple of projects that I worked on when I got into this industry, that was a requirement was, Hey, I need to be able to let in my cleaners, my repair people, my whatever else you name it. Uh, you know, brother-in-law, whatever it is, uh, I need to be able to let them in on the fly. And, um, at the time, most of those locks ran off of a Zigbee or Z-Wave communication protocol, which was great, but it was very proprietary. So if you wanted to upgrade or so let's say you wanted to change something out or if the system went down, you've got to replace everything in the house. Um, now, a lot of the, the, the newer, especially specifically the Yale door locks, which have become very popular over the past two years uh, with the August integration, have made integrating door locks into control systems a lot easier uh, because they're IP controlled. So there's a little bridge that connects to uh, power that sits next to the door lock, and then it communicates via its own protocol to the door lock and tells your control system whether or not the doors open or close, and it let, allows you to unlock it on the fly and integrates substantially easier than they did in the past. You mentioned surveillance as well. You know, I know there's things like ring and things like that. We've talked about it in our previous episode about catching bad guys. Uh, and while ring does integrate into Savant now with ring X and some of their, uh, their different licenses, having an actual surveillance system does give you some strategic advantages specifically around those scenes that we discussed earlier. Uh, you know, and, and there are ways that you can automate, you know, if this certain camera detects motion at a certain amount, a certain time, you can have it trigger other things that Savant communicates with. Maybe it turns a television on to look like you're in the room, or maybe it turns the lights, you know, on in multiple rooms of the house to, to scare off one of the bad guys. So uh, versus the ring integration kind of just allows you to view your ring stuff on the Savant app versus having a full dedicated surveillance system integrated into your Savant system allows you that additional control. Yep. Well, and... I think I'd also comment a little bit on the the door lock from this perspective. And it just happened a couple days ago. I had this conversation. The reasoning I thought was absolutely uh, hilarious and awesome at the exact same time. So where the client's door lock is, is on the far side of the house, the opposite end of where the main bedroom is. And so he's just moved in and he says to me, Daniel, if I want to go lock the door and I'm already in bed, it's going to take me 15 minutes. 
to get to the other side of the house (laughs) to go lock this thing, right? And that may seem like the epitome of laziness in a sense, but at the same time, you're going, I don't want to have to do that. That sounds like a terrible idea. There's got to be a better way. And it's like, yeah, put an automated lock in and let's integrate it and let's give it a button press. Let's make it part of the good night scene. Let's make it so we're just part of our daily routine is to click a button and let things go. And automated locks are part of that. Now, I do know it's a good idea to get a locksmith to Mm -hmm. install them. This is one of those things that uh, will drive folks nuts. If your bolt is not correctly aligned with the door or it's not correctly aligned with the uh, side of the door is another way of saying that same thing. Then the lock does not close all the way and it does not do so easily. And this can make a huge, huge, huge problem uh, for the function of that lock. So having a locksmith available to make sure that things are lined up and exactly correct, who is licensed and insured, (laughs) who can take the correct liability for making that happen uh, is extremely important. Um, And uh, you met, you hit on, uh, you know, having the, you know, family members, uh, kids coming home from school. If you're still at work and you've got teenagers that come in at three 30 and you're not home yet, you want to be able to look at a record and you want to be able to see what time the door was unlocked and when it was closed to be able to send one-time passcodes to make sure the kids are coming in. Um, all of that is available on your, uh, automated locks. And instead of going through all that process, you can be on the phone with them as they're walking up to the house. You can pull out your savant. You can click the button and unlock the door for them. They walk into the house. You click the button and you relock the door for them. (laughs) Like it's not uh, a system that is limited. Okay. As long as you have internet access, things are working the way they're supposed to. It's going to be as easy as the touch of a button. What else would uh, qualify for next level or or second level uh, automation systems? Um, you know, we kind of brushed over it, but HVAC. Um, oh yeah, is uh, it's gotten really popular. You know, with the Nest thermostat that came out a few years ago, uh, it was a great solution to be able to automate. You know your your HVAC system in your home. Um, I love it. It's it's one of those things where um, they've gotten smarter um, to allow you to do things like not just temperature control, but humidity control and other things. Um, but what is the advantage of integrating that into your control system? Well, you can you can have those scenes that you've created also trigger the HVAC system. So. The example that I have is that uh, I don't like to be hot at night when I'm sleeping, when I'm getting in the bed. I, if it could be like like I'm in an igloo in, <laughs> in the Arctic Circle in my bedroom, I would love it. Now, my wife, you know, that's why we have 18 blankets on our bed even during the summertime. So, you know, we, we have that fun little back and forth. But honestly, you know, that's that's it's important to me. So at night, I have a scene that, when I hit goodnight, it might lower the temperature a degree based on wherever it already is. Um, 
So that way I know, hey, this is the temperature that I'm going to be comfortable sleeping in. And that scene can be triggered uh, from a celestial standpoint. So at, you know, if sunrise is going to be at 645 and I, you know, my alarm goes off between 630 and 7, uh, it knows that it needs to go ahead and readjust the AC back up, knowing that I'm going to be getting up here shortly and it doesn't need to utilize that additional energy to keep the room cool because I'm going to be up and moving anyway. And it goes back to 73 or whatever the heck we've got it set on, yep. um, which is, which is awesome. You know, and again, I did that with a touch of a button inside of one application versus jumping over to the app that says this and jumping over to the app that says that controls that. And I know it, it a, a lot of folks you know may listen to this and be like, man, you all are just lazy. Yeah, I am. I am lazy. <laughs> I've, I've, uh, I've been laying in bed and, you know, turned around and be like, do I really want to get up and turn that light off? You know, but all, all joking aside, it is an incredible thing that you can do. And you have a ton of power at the, at the you know, at your fingertips, being able to just hit one button and do multiple things. I jokingly have a intruder, uh, scene that I've created that, I mean, I say jokingly, hopefully I never have to use it but it's essentially a panic button. So when I hit that, it's going to turn all the lights on in my entire house to that full brightness, which we kind of discussed a little bit on the lighting episode. Um, but I also have it turn music on, or I can have it turn on TVs or whatever else I want it to do. Um, that just adds that additional security. So don't just think, Oh, I'm getting this because I I'm going to be lazy and sitting on the couch and don't want to get up to flip a light switch or, you know, I forgot to grab the remote or whatever it is. Like, think of it as how much easier it's going to make things for you in your day-to-day life. It's funny you bring up your wife and the temperature because we are exactly the same way in our house. And I think if most people are honest, that's most homes. Somebody likes it hot. Somebody likes it cold. And <laughs> and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. So when my wife is at home, uh, I know she's keeping the house at 74, 75, 76. Uh, sometimes, uh, oh. oh my goodness, man. I, and I can't take it. Uh, <laughs> I just, it's a good thing. I'm at work all day because, uh, I just can't, I can't rock, rock that temperature. Uh, so one of the things that we use our automated thermostat for, honestly, cause I come home different times of the day, depending on the day is I can actually go into the app and change the temperature when I'm on my way home. And that means that for the 30 minutes or whatever I'm in the car, the house is already cooling down. So it's ready to go for me at the touch of a button. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I don't have to bother her. I don't have to make her uncomfortable. I don't have to do any of those things. And she also knows uh, when I'm on my way home, I typically call, I'm pretty good. I call when I'm on my way home. (laughs) And uh, with Savant's 10.4, I think they just announced uh, integration with uh, GE uh sync thermostats and uh just had a conversation this morning um regarding that so hopefully we can get uh, uh one of the savant guys on to uh talk a little bit more about some of the updates and some of the things that they're doing yeah yeah that new ge sync uh thermostat is going to be pretty sweet um it is a specific ge sync thermostat so it's not the one that you can just go buy on every shelf that that was something that i learned he was very quick to mention when I was talking about it the other day. So uh, <laughs> I found that out this morning. <laughs> oh, hopefully not in a bad way. 
Uh, it, we saved ourselves. Let's just say it that way. Okay. We were good. we found good. out just in time. We'll say it that way. <laughs> okay. Good. Good. I I will say um, one thing that, uh, and I don't know if you're aware of this, uh, and this is something that is also pretty cool about automation systems is that while they, you know, we mentioned earlier that they don't always work together with everything. That doesn't necessarily mean that it that functionality can't become available. So I actually have uh, one of my programmers who's going to help me here in a couple weeks. Uh, we, uh, one of our locations, uh, one of our stores had a profile built for Ecobee thermostats, which is, yep. uh, and, uh, you know, for full integration of that, um, we're going to be working on that here soon. So I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, I think it's a great call out. Work with your designer, work with your integrator. Let's find a way uh, to get these uh, things integrated and where there's a will, there's a way. So welcome to Surprise Tech. Surprise. <laughs> hey. <laughs> so uh, my Surprise Tech is actually a uh, little bit of a scary one. And that is that I finally got a chance to get a look at Wi-Fi 7, which is uh, for the masses probably only a couple years away. And so this is a little bit uh, of uh, future telling that uh, we're going to do here. Uh, but there's a couple things that I wanted to call out that are going to be very, very, very critical uh, to absolutely everyone. And one of the biggest things that... Uh, they're moving towards with Wi-Fi 7 is an increase in a solve for capacity. And what that means is that they're going to improve the average number of devices um, that you can run on a Wi-Fi network simultaneously. And so they brought up this really interesting stat when I, when I first heard about this, uh, which is that the average college student uh, 20 years ago had one Wi-Fi device, maybe a laptop maybe uh whatever it is now I the av two. right <laughs> i'm thinking back to my own days i was like yeah i had uh you know maybe a, a laptop and i don't even think my cell phone at the time you know i had one of those flip phones like i didn't have I yeah uh, i had a razor it didn't have wi-fi capabilities right motorola <laughs> razor yeah i had an xbox which actually my xbox didn't even do wi-fi it had to be hardwired now that right. I think of it. So I had one Wi-Fi device. Right. So you think about where Wi-Fi was to where it is today and what the expectations are and what they're going to be going forward. Well, with Wi-Fi 7, they're going to be able to increase the amount of capacity or the number of connected devices that are going to be available. So now you look at the average college student and they have a, a smartwatch and they have a smartphone and they have a smart tablet and they have a smart laptop and they have a smart TV and they have a smart video game console. And so you're at six devices per student, right? Cause everybody has their own. <laughs> exactly. So it's, uh, it's really going to be, I think a very good technology uh, from that perspective. Then they get into something that's very, very interesting and very, very, very scary. And that is that they will no longer be backwards compatible to legacy Wi-Fi devices. So you don't, Ooh. yeah, you don't think about that uh, <laughs> maybe, and this is what made it so surprising, is that 
it's been for every generation of Wi-Fi that it's had to ensure compatibility going back to G system architecture. And that means that a device from 15 years ago will still connect to the new modern Wi-Fi uh, 6 or uh, Wi-Fi 5 or whatever branding you want to consider that uh, Wi-Fi AC or you know, whatever you want to call it. So when they uh, when it was announced that they were no longer going to force the backwards compatibility in order to achieve the new capacity, it kind of threw me for a loop because I'm sitting there thinking like how many systems have we put in where we have to make sure that everything works all at the same time? And so it, it really is going to be throwing some folks for a loop. So I would start saving now, quite honestly. <laughs> uh, plan your systems in such a way where you're building an upgrade path uh, possible uh, because uh, I think in another 18 months to two years, we're going to see a big changeover in order to get better speeds and better capacity, uh, better coverage, all that stuff is going to be possible, but it's going to come at a cost of the past. So, Ooh, That's tough, man. That's real <laughs> tough. Like, I was there thinking like, what about, what about some of those older game consoles or, or something along those lines? Now I'm assuming, and I could be wrong because I've not looked into this at all, but like when they're talking about legacy, are they just talking about devices that might've only been, compatible with like maybe wireless a or b and maybe even g in some cases or are they talking about just like it's not gonna be backwards compatible at all so the clarification was not given based upon what i had heard so i don't want to speak out of turn um other than to say that the implication was that there was a handcuff essentially that was placed on uh, network engineers for so long that prevented them from doing things they otherwise wanted to do. And they were Got finally it. able to lift that handcuff, get that uh, taken off. So I would, I would tell you probably, you know, Wi-Fi six and uh, AC are probably okay, but that's just a guess to be honest. Sure. Sure. So, okay. How about cool. you, man? What's your surprise tech? Well, you know, it's something that I kind of I kind of saw a little bit at one of the trade shows we went to a few months ago, but uh, I didn't really think much about it um, until uh, recently when I was designing out a system and we had a client that wanted to do an outrageous surround sound system. When I mean outrageous, I mean really anything over seven channels. Okay. I know that seems silly, but... I mean, most of the time, most folks are still thinking 5.1. You know, and if you listen to our audio episode, don't do 5.1. Do 5.1.2, right? Seven speakers. Yep. But this client wanted to do uh, 13 channels. Nice. But we had some space limitations in regard to amplification and everything that we, what we could do, but we wanted to go separates. Um, and I'm like, well, you know, I know he likes Marantz. We looked at the AV-10. I'm thinking the MM8077s, those are only seven channels, so I've got to somehow fit two amps into this one space. But then I'm like, oh, the Amp 10 exists now. What is the Amp 10, Mark? The Amp 10 is a 16-channel amplifier uh, at 200 watts per channel that pairs with the Marantz AV10 uh, preamp. Um, yes. 
This thing is a beast. You've got 16 channels of amplification. It is class D. It is not class A, B. Yep. Um, Makes sense because you're fitting all that power. Yep. But, I mean, this thing is literally packed. If you look at the back of this thing, it's it's got, like I said, 16 channels of amplification, both either RCA or XLR connections. So if you're doing balanced or unbalanced, you've got a lot of different options there. Um, And it's all in one chassis with a beautiful meter on the front of it um, to show your decibel output, which is pretty cool because there's really only one or two other brands that do that. So, uh, you know, we may have talked a little bit about it. I don't know. I've talked about it so much with folks, but Marantz really has stepped up the game when it comes to all of their products from their entry-level cinema series all the way to this top-of-the-line stuff. This stuff is sexy, and it's got a lot of power. Yep. I'm looking at it now, and I would agree with you. I really like the way that the front looks. I love the meter. Um, I love this kind of cascade that they have on the back. Um, that is absolutely fantastic. Um, and you're right, the uh, number of connections. And to be honest, they know what they're doing when it comes to amplification. So even though the, it's a class D amp, I'm sure it probably sounds absolutely fantastic. I'd love to be able to take a listen to one of these. I thought we did, actually, now that I think they about had it. it. They had it, but we were at a trade show, so it's at a hotel, and you really can't, you know, turn this thing up really loud. It was connected to a pair of, uh, it was with the 801s, right? I think it was the white 801s they had from Bowers and Wilkins there. There was that uh, one, and, it, and I thought they had it in the uh, definitive room. They may have. They may have. Yeah. Honestly, there's so many different options we got to listen to. It kind of all runs together. <laughs> Outside of the, the Kef Rail room, which is just a legendary room that we all got to listen to every year. It's always a go-to space. So, and One of the other thing is, things I thought was cool about this is, and I know this is going to be silly, all of the copper screws that they utilize. It is a copper chassis at the bottom as well, and it's just kind of those little accents and attention to detail that just makes this thing really stand out yep yeah i know it's awesome it's really beautiful and uh it sounds good and if you want to do a nice theater and you need an all-in-one that is hands down a phenomenal way to do it absolutely fantastic and the, the cool thing is because we were doing 13 channels we were actually able to buy amp his speakers nice we and and we still had one channel left over I wanted to buy amp the center channel, but the center already chose to not have that capability. So, all good. Gotta do that voice to God speaker. Yep, right. Tomorrow 3D stuff. Yep. But anyway, I full disclosure, I have two MM8077s that are the same, a little bit smaller than the chassis of this. And this thing has more amplification than two of my amps in one chassis. So, if you're looking at Fitting in a lot of amplification into one chassis that's going to sound really good, 200 watts a channel, uh, $7,000 takes it home. That's not bad at all. That is not bad at all. I like the idea also of doing distributed audio with one of those. Yeah, I actually, because I don't, I don't have, I have a seven-channel system, I, and I even do bi-amping, I actually utilize it to power my kitchen speakers too because the ones I have, the 8077s, because of that. And they sound really good. I mean, the 8077 is no slouch either. It's 150 watts, class A, B. So. Yeah, 
I was going to say, I would love to be able to take a look at, you know, a three, four, let's just say you could do eight zones of stereo off this amp. And that yep. would be a killer, absolutely killer distributed <laughs> audio system. At, at 200 watts a channel? <laughs> I'm just saying, man. That'd uh, be killer, man. That's that's what I'm saying. It would be killer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you've been listening to The Sound of Design. With Mark. And Dan. And uh, we really appreciate you guys hanging out with us. Uh, please like, comment, and subscribe. Uh, tell your friends. Tell your mom. Uh, let's get uh, some folks uh, <laughs> listening to uh, the podcast. Uh, if you have questions, obviously feel free to reach out to us at thesoundofdesign.com. Also want to say a very, very special thank you to our listeners in the UK, uh, also in the Netherlands, in uh, Colombia, uh, as well as in Australia. For you guys who are uh, hanging out with us um, on uh, the other side of the world, we really appreciate it and uh, really wanted to say a special call out to you guys. Thank you so much for uh, supporting the show and for listening. Uh, that being said... We'll see you on the next episode. <laughs> see ya.